Good evening. Let's call to order the special council meeting closed session of September 12th, 2023. The city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel included, safe, and respected. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to city clerk in person or use the raise hand feature online to request to speak star nine on a telephone. Location and online meeting details are available via the council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed using the show captions button. Following the closed session, the regular city council meeting will begin at 7 p.m. We encourage the public to stay tuned and participate in the regular meeting. City Clerk, may we please have a roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Council Member Melton. Present. Council Member Cisneros. Present. Council Member Mellinger. Council Member Srinivasan. Present. Council Member Sal. Present. Six present with Council Member Mellinger absent. Thank you. Uh, and for the record, it is an excused absence. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address the City Council on the closed session item. Members of the public part wishing to address the council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk or use the raise hand button now or dial star nine on a telephone to indicate you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the city council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards. City clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on these items? No, vice mayor. Okay, thank you. I will go ahead and close public comment. City Council will now adjourn to closed session. See you back here at 7 p.m.
Good evening. Let's call to order the council meeting of September 12th, 2023. Uh, the city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of its residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of a diverse community feel included, safe, and respected. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature and speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order of voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for each vote. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised hand feature request to speak, star nine in your telephone. Location and meeting and online meeting details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available, available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the show captions button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on that agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the council meeting agenda. First, please join me in a salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Council Member Melton. Present. Council Member Cisneros. Present. Council Member Mellinger. Council Member Srinivasan. Present. Council Member Sal. Present. Six present with Council Member Mellinger absent. Thank you. And please note that that is an excused absence. Next, we have several special orders of the day. Let me come to the lectern. Right now, perfect. Uh, before we continue uh, tonight's meeting, we have a special recognition in honor of Workforce Development Month. In 2021, the US Senate passed a resolution recognizing September as National Workforce Development Month. This recognition highlights the importance of equipping residents with education, training, and skills. The, the skills necessary to advance their careers and grow our economy. It's also a time to reflect upon the contributions our workforce makes. Here in Sunnyvale, we partner with seven other jurisdictions, Cupertino, Los Altos, Milpitas, Mountain View, Palo Alto, Santa Clara, and even the County of San Mateo to support NovaWorks. NovaWorks is a nonprofit, federally funded employment and training agency that provides customer Focus workforce development services. Some of the services include job seeking workshops, staffing and recruitment assistance, and employee training and retention services. Joining us tonight is Marlena Sessions, the director of Nova Works. Thank you for being here. Would you like to say a few? Just a few. Thank you so much. <laughs> 
Thank you, Mayor and, and Council. On behalf of the Nova Works staff and board, we're very happy to have this recognition. It's a perfect moment for me to remind the Sunnyvale residents that Nova is here. If you're seeking a career, wanting to change careers, or if you're an employer seeking talent, we are here on the first floor of the beautiful new city hall. We're also able, you're able to access us through novaworks.org. So thank you so much, Mayor. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Stay here for just a second. Thank you, Marlena. And, and I just want to say thank you. You know, uh, definitely I've I've heard, you know, fantastic things about Nova Works and through the years have used it myself. So I appreciate, you know, all the hard work that you and your staff do. Uh, and as as you said, you know, it's here. We made a place for you in our new city hall, you know, on the first floor. And and so for residents who are looking to find a new job or or possibly a new career overall, uh, definitely they're there. Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, and, you know, of course, the online the online location of NovaWorks.org. So on behalf of the Sunnyvale City Council, it is my great pleasure to proclaim September 2023 as Workforce Development Month in Sunnyvale. And so thank you for, for what you do and for all of your staff. Thank you. Thank you. And next, we will take a moment to celebrate Hispanic and Latino com commitments and community uh, culture and heritage. Uh, we have a special guest present in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, joining us tonight is Mariah Maldonado, the College Success and STEMS Program Manager with the Hispanic Foundation of Silicon Valley. Please come forward. Go right ahead and say a few words. Thank you. Well, hi everyone. Mireya Maldonado here. I'm honored to be sharing the space with you all tonight and celebrating the start of Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, like Larry mentioned, I am the College Success and STEM Programs Manager at the Hispanic Foundation of Silicon Valley. It's a public foundation that is dedicated to inspiring philanthropy and engaging people to invest in our Latino community. A little bit about me, um, I come from a background of hardworking immigrant parents who come from Guanajuato, Mexico. Both of my parents have worked honorable jobs from agriculture to custodial and construction. Um, and I am the second oldest of six siblings. I proudly identify as a first-generation Latina and I've broken new ground in my family um, as the first in my family to venture into corporate and now an educational nonprofit. Um, I stand here today as one of many Latina trailblazers in our vibrant Silicon Valley community. Throughout my educational journey and professional, um, I have come across a lot of challenging transitions because navigating terrain as a first generation, right? Um, I never had the tools or no one before me really had the tools to map out everything for me. I was fortunate enough to get accepted to San Jose State, uh, to City of County, and I was really ecstatic with that opportunity. I knew that this milestone was monumental, not only for myself, but for my family as well. However, by the end of my first year at San Jose State, I had filled three classes and was on the verge of dropping out. I was told by a school counselor that maybe I should rethink of accounting as the right path for me. Now, for a while, I felt like I had given up on myself and on my childhood dream, but and I labeled myself a quitter whose failures were a genuine reflection of my capabilities but I had forgotten about my perseverance and strength despite my adversity. I was working two part-time jobs to pay for my schooling. I was involved in multiple student organizations, such as the Latino Business Student Association, which I ran as president. And I was still making time to volunteer and mentor underserved students in our local San Jose community. 
But my experiences with imposter syndrome, anxiety, and fear were fueled by systems that I continue to fight against. However, my mom always instilled in me that I do not have to answer to the names uh, that other people call me because I define who I am. Not my circumstances, not other people's projections, but me. And this sentiment helped me remind myself that I can do anything that I set my mind to. So standing now on the opposite end of these past couple of years, I cannot be happier and more sure of myself. I graduated from San Jose State with my degree in accounting. And during the time since then, I've had the opportunity to work in corporate accounting and educational nonprofit, like I mentioned. I've been able to sit on local nonprofit boards to advocate for our community, to mentor first-generation students, and be part of a local campaign team and as well as lobby at the state capitol for issues that are prevalent in our community. But more importantly, I have learned that the importance of living and being present for the things that matter to me. So lastly, I wanna share this experience with you all because there are, many there are many people out there that share my same lived experiences and that are working diligently to be the first in their families to attend college and cross that finish line. But I cannot be the woman I am today without the people who have sacrificed for me who have mentored me, poured into me, encouraged me, and showed me compassion and love, um, and have seen my potential before I even saw it in myself. So as we kick off Hispanic Heritage Month, I hope I have inspired you to continue paving the way for future generations and leaders, as many of you have the power to create, implement, and enforce educational policies, um, and as, as well as make decisions and investments that will help our Latino community prosper. I definitely think that our Latino students have the talent, the ganas, and the potential to really transform our local industries. So with that, I want to thank you all, and thank you, Mayor, for the invitation. Thank you. Thank, thank you for that. You know, and Pleasure. it's great to hear your story and and all the all the things that your foundation does is just is just impressive. And you know, our one of our former mayors is your president CEO, and so still has lots of ties to Sunnyvale. And so, thank you for for the work that you do and the foundation does. And congratulations on two years um, at at the organization. Thank you. Stay stay here for a second. Oh. Let me wrap up. Um, <laughs> Um, let me go ahead and, you know, thank you for that. Um, in 1968, President Lyndon Johnson announced Hispanic Heritage Week to include the dates of September 15th and 16th, and this was specifically designed to celebrate Hispanic Americans and the anniversaries of independence for, for our Central American neighbors of Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua, as well as Mex Mexico's independence on September 16th. And then in 1988, President Ronald Reagan expanded the week into 30-day period beginning September 15th and going on to October 15th. So this year's theme is Latinos driving prosperity, power, and progress in America. And, and it encourages us to recognize the significant strides of our Hispanic and Latino community in the economic, political, and social growth of the United States. So on behalf of the Sunnyvale City Council, it is my great pleasure to proclaim September 15th to October 16th, 2023 as Hispanic Heritage Month in the city of Sunnyvale. Thank you very much. And thank you for all. Thank you. And next, City Clerk, uh, you will be leading a ceremonial oath of office for our new board and commission members. 
Will the members taking their oath please join me at the podium? Please raise your right hand. After I state the oath, please respond by saying I do. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that you will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of California, and that you will faithfully discharge the duties of a board and commission member according to your best ability? I do. Congratulations on your appointment. Thank you to our new board and commission members. Um, next, we have a special presentation uh, regarding the- Mayor, if I may? Yes. May we please conduct the closed session report? We did. Or we did? One second. I have it. Sorry. Thank you. Um, our closed session report, Vice Mayor, may we please have the closed session report? Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, Council met in closed session on one item. Uh, potential litigation and there's nothing to report. Thank you very much. And thank you, city clerk, for me rushing ahead. Um, next, we have the special presentation regarding the 2020, 2023 Silicon Valley Clean Energy Electric Showcase Awards. Uh, in 2016, uh, Sunnyvale voted to form Silicon Valley Clean Energy to reduce emissions and create a safe and healthy community for all residents. It's been my pleasure to serve on the Silicon Valley Clean Energy Board of Directors since 2021. And I'm proud to serve on an organization whose mission is to reduce overall dependence on fossil fuels and to provide clean energy and innovative programs for our community throughout the county and throughout California. Um, I'm excited that staff from Silicon Valley Clean Energy are here tonight. Uh, good to see so many faces here in our brand new uh, city hall. Uh, thanks partially to Silicon Valley Clean Energy. Uh, and uh, we're here to share, and they're here to share more tonight about the Electric Showcase Awards, which recognize the cutting edge efforts of our community members who are leading the way in electrifying their homes and businesses. Um, I hope that Brady, Crystal, Scott, William, and Lakshmi's stories can help inspire other Sunnyvale residents to utilize the local, state, and federal funds available to take action towards reducing, reducing emissions from their homes. Now, I'm happy to introduce Girish Balachandran, who will be talking more about the Electric Showcase Awards. Girish? Thank you, Mayor Klein. It's okay, the mic's fine. Um, Mayor Klein, Director Klein, and council members, uh, the ones I know already and the ones I will know shortly. And uh, our alternate director too, wanted to thank uh, city manager Stephens, who has been a fantastic partner for SPCE from day one, uh, including your leadership on reach codes. So I am Girish Balachandran. I'm the CEO of Silicon Valley Clean Energy. And as the mayor said, we are the clean energy provider for Sunnyvale and 12 other jurisdictions in Santa Clara County. Since our creation, <clears throat> sorry, we have helped avoid the emissions of 530 million pounds of CO2 from entering the atmosphere. In terms of dollars, our ratepayers have saved more than $90 million and Sunnyvale customers, you being our largest customer, 
our largest agency, I should say, um, has saved more than $23 million. We're also proud to serve the community with a variety of programs and rebates to help them reduce greenhouse gas emissions, including our Future Fit Home rebate program that offers up to $8,000 for people to transition to electric appliances. As part of our community work, we are delighted to celebrate the Electric Showcase Award winners tonight. The award recognizes people in the community who are leading the way in electrifying their buildings. This was an incredible year for awards. We selected 16 winners after receiving more than 150 applications. Four of the winners are Sunnyvale residents. Brady Colsrud, Crystal Wickham, Scott Holzer, and William Gale and Lakshmi Kasinagam. We are delighted to have Brady, William, and Lakshmi with us tonight. These four properties represent the full range of electrification journeys. Brady and his wife began their first appliance upgrade after learning about the risks associated with gas stoves. Scott saw the local and federal tax rebates as a catalyst for his family to install a heat pump HVAC system in their Sunnyvale townhome. Crystal so passionately wants to be rid of her gas stove in her 1963 home that she disconnected her gas stove and is running her kitchen on two portable induction burners. And after years of not having control as renters, William and Lakshmi have gone all electric in their home and have also upgraded the other side of their duplex to pass these electrification benefits to their tenants as well. I will end the sh uh, shot update by playing a video that showcases and highlights all 16 of our Electric Showcase Award winners. I'm Steve. We live in Campbell and we are going electric. My name is Alexander Moore. I live and work in Hell, California, and I'm going electric. I'm Judy. I live in Campbell and I'm going electric. I'm Scott. I live in Sunnyvale and my family is going electric. We just figured anything that we can do to replace what we're using now with gas and have it be driven by clean solar and wind electricity through Silicon Valley Clean Energy would be an improvement. I am Amit. I live in Cupertino and my family is going electric. Hi, my name is Siva, and I have a business in Milpitas, and we have gone all electric. I'm Brady. I live in Sunnyvale, California, and I'm going electric. I'm Judy. My family lives in Los Altos Hills, and we've gone all electric. The biggest benefit we've had is what it's done to our monthly bills. Not only am I helping the planet, I'm also helping my pocket. I'm Cindy. We're here at Congregation Beth Am in Los Altos Hills, and we're going all electric. I'm Tom, I live in Los Altos, and my family went all electric. My name is Crystal, and I live in Sunnyvale. I'm going all electric. I'm Carol, I live in Saratoga, and I've gone electric. It has been a long transition for us. We didn't just decide we're going electric, and then we just did it all. As appliances age, we've changed them out. My name is Kurt, I live in Gilroy, and we're all electric now. I'm William. And I'm Lakshmi. We live in Sunnyvale. And we've gone all, all electric. electric. I'm Justin. We live in Los Gatos and we went all electric. We're Sunshine Gardens Apartments. In Mountain View. And, and we're, we're going, going electric. I think most people would like to do the right thing, but if it's going to cost them a lot of money, it makes it tough. But between the tax rebates and the Silicon Valley clean energy rebate, these things are affordable, very affordable.
So I want to thank all 16 of these winners. Uh, they are the ones who are leading the effort on climate change, and we hope in the future more will follow them. I'd also like to invite the winners we have today, Brady, William, and Lakshmi, uh, to join with the city council for a photograph, please. And thank you, Girish, and, and of course, you know, the other Silicon Valley Clean Energy uh, staff that are here tonight. And congratulations to the, those Sunnyvale residents, especially who are winners. And, and I know that Crystal wanted to be here. She's big into sustainability on our sustainability commission and couldn't make it tonight. But but thank you to, to everyone who's taken advantage of these programs. Thank you for Silicon Valley Clean Energy, Energy also funding other programs, not just people, uh, but uh, our Vargas Elementary. And so thank you for all that you've been doing. And with that, we will move on to oral communications. Uh, members of the public will now have an opportunity to address council on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the general business section of the agenda. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum up to three minutes per speaker. A reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to address council. I will call members of public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask those remote participants to unmute their microphones when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have one speaker card, Deborah King. Good evening. Am I on? Yes, you are. Oh, okay, thank you. By the way, Silicon Valley uh, Clean Energy just um, gave my husband a generator to run his CPAP machine oh. when the power goes out. Mm -hmm. And so we were very grateful for that. I was. I was like really surprised when I saw it. I'm like, this is what you're getting. So that was, that was very nice. Um, I'm not here to talk about parking. You know that because you're holding my speaker card. Um, I'm actually here to thank the city for the contracted services that are provided um, with the Humane Society of Silicon Valley for the TNR program. If you don't know what that is, it's Trap, Neuter, Return for Homeless Cats. Um, if you're not a cat rescuer, you don't know how significant that can be, and it is. I've been a cat rescuer for th over 30 years, most of those years in Sunnyvale. And um, what we do is, uh, with, with homeless cats, when we find homeless cats, we trap them, 
we determine if they're um, um, adoptable. We check them uh, to make sure that they're healthy. Humane Society takes them in. And if you're a resident of Sunnyvale, you can walk into the Humane Society seven days a week, anytime during the day with a cat in a trap. And there they go. And they evaluate them if they're adoptable, which I've had happen. They adopt them out. Um, if they're ill, they take care of them. They uh, vaccinate. They uh, spay and neuter. They uh, microchip. They ear notch. And if um, everything is, is fine, they return them to us or they return them back to where we got the cat from. Um, and if it's a managed colony, which is often what we deal with, then that's great because then we manage the colony um, going forward. And if other times we have a cat that can't go back because there's no colony, it's a dangerous place, um, then we work to find a barn placement for them. That, that's what we do. But this is a huge um, struggle this these last few years with other agencies. Um, we're not getting support in other rescues in other cities and other counties. Um, Solano County, where I live for a few years, is in a very rough state. I'm currently working with the city of Palo Alto with um, friends of mine from Stanford Catnet, which, which I belong to for many years until I retired, because Palo Alto is not offering any TNR services. Mm. And that is not a good thing. And we're trying to explain to them how effective the program is, what a huge difference it makes. And Stanford Cat Network is a model for the entire United States of how well TNR works. So I actually just want to thank the city for the work that you're doing. If I had time, I could tell you a whole bunch of stories, but I don't. But it really is a huge help. And I just want to thank you. Thank you, Deborah. That was my last speaker card. Um, no, if no one else wants to speak, uh, city clerk, is there anyone remote who wishes to speak? Yes, mayor. We have Rose Gregorio. Rose, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address council. Rose, we can't hear you. You should have a pop-up. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, I just want to let you know that there's two encampments will be swept and displaced people tomorrow. One woman doesn't really know where to go. Others will move to another place. And for sure, they will be swept again, even if they are staying right behind the walls or next to the street, like they did to Steve, Danny, Cleo, and Sergio. Anywhere they go, they're being swept, which means they really don't have any place in this society. One veteran was raped two months ago, and I don't know how many more women will be raped because they don't speak up and they stay on the street. I, I, I have to be very honest with you, and I don't know why Sunnyvale has the money and built a state-of-the-art city hall but can't help our low-income people who are unhoused. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Mayor, that was the final speaker under oral communications. Okay, I'll go ahead and close oral communications and move on to our consent calendar. I will open public comment on our consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Use the raised hand feature now or dial star nine in your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. 
I will call members of public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to rest council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards on consent calendar items. City clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on consent calendar items? No, Mayor. Okay, I will close the um, comment period for consent calendar items. Is there a motion from my colleagues? Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I move the consent calendar. Thank you. Councilmember Cisneros. Second. Thank you. City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Councilmember Melton? Yes. Councilmember South? Yes. Councilmember Mellinger? Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Councilmember Srinivasan? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. The motion carries 6-0 with Councilmember Mellinger absent. Thank you. And we'll move on to our general business. Our first item is item 23-0794, award of a contract to Group 4 Architecture Research and Planning, Inc. for the Civic Center Phase 2 Planning, Main Library in the amount of 976000 and approved budget modification number 5 in the amount of 431000 to fund the contract and ongoing staff support. Is there a staff report? There is. Good evening. How are you all today? Good. We do have a PowerPoint. Thank you, Sandra. Um, I've got a clicker here. All right. So good evening. I'm Jennifer Ng. I'm the Assistant Director of Public Works. Um, and I have a very brief presentation for you tonight on the Civic Center Phase Two Planning Main Library Project. A little bit of orientation for you. Um, Civic Center Phase Two not only encompasses the library, but also the grounds around the library as shown here in orange. <coughs> We, um, with our friends in finance, released a request for proposals May 15th of this year. Seven proposals were received on June 22nd, um, and we interviewed four firms on July 25th. And the group selected, the group, um, the group selected Group 4 Architecture, Research, and Planning, Inc. Scope of work for this project is largely um, <clears throat> comprised of three buckets. The first is a need study, and during this time, um, we'll verify the previous master plan studies, we'll look at previous findings, and we'll develop our program needs and our priorities. And community outreach is also going to occur during this time. After that, we'll do conceptual design, and we're basically going to look at three options for our new library. One is a, main, a new main library that meets all of our needs. The second is a new main library that meets our medium and higher priority needs, so a little bit smaller sized. And the third option is to renovate the existing library that meets both our minimum needs as well as our high priority needs. And then the third um, main item for the scope of work is prepare preparation of materials for a potential ballot measure. A ballot measure in 2024 um, is coming up quickly. So here is a proposed project schedule. Um, basically from now until November, we're gonna be doing our needs assessments and our needs studies. From November to March, we'll be evaluating our three concept designs um, with the intent to come back to you in June of 2024 with a critical decision. And the decision at that point will be, do we wanna move forward with something on the ballot measure or not? If yes, um, basically from June to August, we'll be developing that ballot language, supporting arguments, 
all of the other information that goes along with that. Um, and then the due date to get all of that information over to the county to get on the ballot is August 9th. <clears throat> there is a budget mod associated with this project. Um, it's to fund not only the contract for group four, um, but also to fund staffing to um, project manage this project. Total budget modification is $431,929.47. Roughly $97,000 of that is uh, to complete the contract. $335,000 of that is for staffing costs. And then our funding source um, for this budget mod is a general fund budget stabilization fund. So recommendations for you tonight, um, four bullet points. The first is to award the contract to uh, Group 4 Architecture Research and Planning in the amount of $992,342.50 um, with the agreement language modified to remove the term marketing corrected to public education. Um, approve a corresponding 10% contingency in the amount of $99,234 to Group 4 Architecture. Um, the budget modification number five in the amount of $431,929.47, and then to authorize a city manager to execute all of the contracts. Um, so that's the end of my very brief presentation. I do want to acknowledge that I have Allison Boyer and Stephen Ping behind me. They're hiding in the back, um, but they'll help uh, with project management. And of course, we have a plethora of directors um, behind me as well, should you ask the really hard questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there questions of staff? First up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Jennifer. Great presentation, and thank you for your work on this. I wanted to follow up on a couple of the Monday 8 a.m. questions that I lobbed in, and thank you. I, I, I happened to notice the uh, bit about marketing versus public education, so that's a very nice change. I really appreciate that. Um, tell me, Tell me, um, how are we um, bound by the previous EI work, EIR work that's been done? Let me give some context for the question. So one of my Monday 8 a.m. questions where I wasn't expecting the response that was provided, I said, okay, here are the three alternatives that I'm seeing in the contract, A, B, and C. And my question was, where are these coming from? And the response that I heard from staff was, these are coming from the project DIR. Let me pause for a second. Am I am I understanding that correctly, Jennifer? So there was an overarching Civic Center master plan, which identified three phases for ultimate build out of Civic Center. Um, the building we're in right now is phase one. <clears throat> Library is phase two. Um, and a new public safety building is phase three. So along with that master plan, there was approved an EIR for that corresponded with it. Um, the master plan, when we did phase, when when it looked at phase two was pretty broad and, and pretty general. And it basically just outlined a new 120,000 square foot main library. Got it. Okay. So the, the question that I'm trying to get at is it looks like this project that we're about to embark on has three predefined alternatives. And I'm trying to get a sense of how bound are we to these three predefined alternatives, Jennifer, because they came to us via an EIR, right? And it's tough to change things that have been written in an EIR. So if we, Jennifer, go off on a community needs review, and we start to hear things from the community that are different than the three things that are listed here, 
which came from the EIR, what sort of position does that put us in? Do we have to tell the community we can't change these because this is what was in the EIR? Or can we tell the community that we can change them and go off in a completely different direction? Can somebody from staff tell me what that looks like? Can I uh, respond to that? Thank you. Um, the council's really not bound by the EIR. If you picked an alternative for phase two that went sort of above and beyond the impacts that we anticipated, then there may be more environmental process. So that could slow the project down. It could have some implications for additional scope for the consultant, but it doesn't bind you directly. If you uh, selected a project alternative, generally that's smaller, it's not going to have more impacts. I mean, we looked at traffic impacts. We looked at uh, construction impacts. A smaller building would generally have fewer impacts, and you could uh, proceed with that. Um, sometimes we look at uh, prior EIRs and do a supplement, a shorter version, to make sure that um, we didn't identify any impacts that were greater than what were anticipated in the master plan. So you're not bound by it, but if the alternatives um, were significantly different than uh, what was in the prior master plan, particularly the size of the buildings that's being contemplated, uh, we'd need more environmental review. Okay. Yeah, I'm tracking that. And I just want to... If I could add one, one thing, I would remind the council that when we did this project, we came back and did a supplemental uh, EIR when there was some changes to the original um, impacts that we thought were going to occur with this construction of the building. And we had then adopted a supplemental EAR out of the master plan. Yeah. And I, I excuse me, uh, Rebecca, I, I, we did an addendum. I apologize, not a supplemental, an addendum. It, it's all good. Thank you, Rebecca, for uh, chiming in wherever you are right now. Um, <laughs> so I, I sort of have a notion, John, that at some point, on phase two, we're gonna to have to do something with regards to an EIR, right? Something's gonna change that is above what we contemplated. There, there's only a very small chance that we're not going to have to do an EIR. Do you have any thoughts about that? It's really within the purview of the council and, and the city manager as they go forth and look at what the library is gonna change. And then we would evaluate what we think those potential impacts would be. We compare it to what was studied. So it's it's really difficult to to tell right now because we have to go, we have to go through that process. And as the process is gone through, then we'll evaluate what environmental um, so at, review has to be done. At the least, you the council would be asked to make findings that the impacts of the future project that's identified are no greater than what was. Uh, considered in the master plan EIR. So that would kind of be the, the threshold minimum. And if there were changes that could would have more impacts, then it would, you know, we would need additional documentation and review by city council. Okay. So this is really helpful for me to understand not only what's coming way down the road in terms of environmental review, but I'm still a little unclear on what a resident might hear as we embark on this process of public outreach. So if somebody says, you know, this is just a crazy example. Somebody says, I want the new library to be four stories high and be net zero energy and lead platinum, just like the new city hall. What are they going to be told? I wonder, are they going to be told? No, that's not one of the three predefined options that we told our consultant to look at, or are we just going to take in their comment like we normally would on a public outreach process? I'm trying to get yeah. to 
what benefit is the city getting by having these three defined, predefined alternatives in the contract with the consultant? Um, the in the consultant scope, we do have to define what work products we're going to get. So we, we it's commonplace, and and we do this in in all of these building construction projects where, in order to negotiate fair fees with the architect, we need to define what their work product's going to be. So we need a defined number of alternatives, and there's a benefit. But I don't think, you know, we're not bound by the exact size. Um, one of your questions, Councilmember Melton, was. You know, what if we hear it should be four stories? We'd have to go look at the environmental impact report that was done before, which contemplated two stories and one uh, underground parking level. That's what was evaluated, um, or potentially an addition and renovation of the current library. That was also evaluated, um, and see if were there impacts around uh, building height or shading. Uh, we'd have to confirm whether, you know, was that evaluated and found to be no impact? Well, now the building's changed. It might be an impact. We would work through those if the form of the building changed significantly. Okay. I, I'll just mention, right, in the scope of work here for consultant, it says evaluate options for one, two, and three. And that to me kind of looks like only one or only two or only three. And what I what I desire from the community outreach is for the community to tell us organically not to have to choose from a predefined list of one, two, or three. So that's what I'm getting at with this. So I'll um, move on. Um, the next question I had for the Monday 8 a.m. question, um, I think as we move this towards uh, a ballot, question, if it gets to that point um, for November of next year, I think the most important thing that's going to be in the ballot statement is the dollar number, right? And so I think consultant has been tasked with provide a dollar estimate for whatever the end result is, you have to provide a dollar number. Am I remembering that correctly, Jennifer? Is that one of the deliverables? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. It, so, it will be a order of magnitude because we are still concept level at this point, but yes, they will be giving us numbers. Okay. What were some of the things that um, the team looked at when you were evaluating the four finalists that um, gave staff confidence that um, the selected consultant has the um, professional capabilities to provide a good, accurate range of numbers, I wonder. Sure. It was library experience, um, their ability to deliver based off of past projects, um, who they had as their community outreach people, right? Because community outreach is going to be a key component of what we're doing, um, <clears throat> as well as ability to meet schedule because we are on a compressed schedule. Yes, I might circle back to the compressed schedule question a little bit later, maybe after my colleagues have had a chance to ask their questions. Um, and one final concept that I wanted to put out there is because the dollar number, I think, is so important. Um, one of the ideas that I broached in the Monday 8 a.m. questions was when we were getting ready to launch a bid uh, or open a bid for this building here, um, it was Jacobs, right, that we just sort of had them double check or provide an independent assessment of what the cost would be. 
and they did that. I, I think that idea has merit here because the dollar number is so important. I think our consultant will provide a dollar number, but what would it look like if we wanted to get an expert whose line of business is providing construction estimates to come in and just give our residents the peace of mind that we're doing a good number? What would what would that look like? I mean, we do have um, estimating experts on retainer, you know, on-call contracts with the city. So if that's something the council desired, um, certainly we can, we would have to build in a little bit of extra time for that check, find a little bit of extra money, but it is all doable. Okay. Um, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you, council member. Uh, next up is council member Sell. I thank you for your work. So I had a question. So like Sunnyvale is a really big city, over 150,000 people in a diverse city of different social and economic and um, different people from different backgrounds. So how do you envision your outreach to be able to um, be representative of giving the consultant that vision of Sunnyvale and and that vision being integrated into the library plan. With what are some like well, aspects it, of the outreach that might give you that? One of the sense. very first deliverables that we'll be getting from this consultant is an outreach plan. One of the things that gave us confidence from this particular consultant um, was their ability to do outreach over a wide variety of mediums, right? They can do in person, you can do virtual pop-up events, surveys, you know, so there's a whole host of methodologies they can use to reach our diverse citizens. Okay, great. Um, the other thing is, um, so some of our commissions, like the um, Human Relations Commission, um, which we've recently developed, and, um, you know, they have a lot of diverse backgrounds and um, I didn't see them formally involved in this, but is there a way of informally involving them in this or, you know, voluntary or what are you thinking about? You know, there's some main commissions that are like library trustee and parks and rec that are really embedded in giving input and city council. But how do you envision incorporating some of these other um, commissions that might really inform the library plan? I mean, right now, due to schedule complaints, uh, schedule constraints, if we were to follow in a linear fashion, there really isn't time to involve more commissions. Um, when we get to that point down the road, if there are others that we do want to involve, we might see if we can do some joint commission meetings to see if that's possible. Um, but we haven't, um, we currently don't have the time in our schedule to, to add more time okay. <laughs> before the ballot measure. Yeah. If we are making it, you know, voluntary, just like the other commissions like informing them of this happening and which commissions they go to just as audience and give input is could they as audience members give input this process other commissioners i mean commission meetings are open to the yeah. public right and so anybody is welcome to come and provide their input at commission meetings yeah and then announcing it to the commissions might be helpful that's my suggestion okay and then um my last question is it says that there's going to be um, polling scheduled for after the city council selects the preferred 
conceptual design. <clears throat> so since it's after the conceptual design has been selected, what are some goals of that polling? Um, will it be to you know, determine the finite language? Will it be to, to determine the rates that uh, will be, or what are some goals of that polling I'm at the end of the Tim process? To help me out okay. here. Good evening, Mayor and Council, Tim Curry, Finance Director. Um, the goal um, of the polling is typically to identify just general support for the ballot measure itself. Um, you, you usually poll on a couple of options. Um, cost will depend on that a lot, will drive that um, uh, that uh, support or not support probably the most. But um, uh, in general, what you're polling on is just if if this if the city put forward one of these options, is there or is there not support for it? It seems like the polling is done after the city council picks a, the concept. So within that concept design, will there be a range so that there will be that um, variability so that we can see, oh, you know, should go with that instead of that. If one concept is chosen, is there still that variability that will be there too? I, I think we'd I'll let Ken jump okay. in on this, yeah. Isn't that correct? There will be multiple concepts and then council will pick the concept they want. And then after that, the polling will be done on that one concept. Is that, did yes, that, that correct? That is the concept. And, okay. and with, again, mostly polling is done uh, by telephone. Mm -hmm. So people don't get pictures necessarily. Um, sometimes it's done with online surveys. Um, generally we test, we test, we have the specific ballot language itself as a draft. Mm -hmm. We definitely have the dollar amount of funds it would raise. Uh, in this case, it would um, likely the instrument would be to increase property taxes to pay for the project. And so the amount of the assessment increase would be specified in that. To have those precise numbers, you have to pick an alternative. So generally, we, we don't pull on multiple alternatives. We pick the best one that's supported by the community, the city council, and then we test to see if it's likely to pass in, in a scientific poll. And I, I just add to Ken's point, you don't have a lot of room in a poll um, because you don't have a lot of time. It's hard to hold people for very long. Um, so you're limited on the number of questions and things you can pull on in a single poll. Okay. And then we're sort of, since it's at the end of the process, we're probably sort of, it's either going to be you know, close to 60%, 66, or it's like a sanity check. Is that what it is? Because it's at the end of the process. There's not much we can change if we're not in the ballpark of the passage range. Like if it, if the poll came back and it was like 55%, then that would, there would be no turning back because we've already invested a lot into that direction. But if it came back and it was like 60 Five percent and sixty-six is the passage. Then we know we're going in the right direction. So we're expecting, since it's at the end, to go forward. That it would be close to sixty-six percent. Is that what we're thinking? There, you you definitely the percentage of support matters. You you also look at 
generally through these polls, you add a series, you ask a series of questions, and sometimes you deliver additional information along the way. Mm -hmm. And so you'll take a look at support at the beginning of the poll and at the end of the poll. Mm -hmm. If you're in a good range for passage, Mm -hmm. you can use that information to say, okay, what is missing from the, um, you know, public education perspective of this of this project that we need to share with the public so they know and get and build that support that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my last question is, say something unexpected happens, which Sunnyvale does not have any control of, like COVID happened and we did not have any control of it. And that would make a bond hard to pass. Um, all that we're investing, the plans and everything like that, if for some reason the polling doesn't come in, you know, where we expect because of some unexpected thing that's out of Sunnyvale's control, um, all that we invested, all these plans, is it could be used in the future. Is that correct? Like, it's not like, doesn't have a shelf life or, you know, like. Yeah, these aren't um, engineered plans in the sense that they're, they're um, you know, tied to a particular code here. Um, and so, yes, the work product is reusable if we decided to go back and and uh, take another swag at it in the future. Okay. Okay, that's all my questions. Thank you uh, for the presentation, the work and the preparation for this. Thank you, council member. Next is council member Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. And then thanks Jennifer for a great presentation. And then some of my questions were already answered, uh, asked and then responded to, but uh, these were mostly related to community outreach. One of the, uh, the the other thing you alluded to is the compression of the timeline, because from now to June, we have to work really hard on the community outreach. And also in June, council has to decide on the conceptual plan, and then which determines the dollar value. Having said that, how many community outreach from now to June are you planning? Any idea, any thought on that? Do we have a number? I mean, part of that will be um, figured out as the outreach plan is one of the very first deliverables of the consultant. Um, right. To your point, um, as soon as a contract is executed, we're going to hit the ground running and we're going to be hitting the ground running at a full on sprint. <laughs> exactly. Because the community reach, uh, as I wrote here, it has to look at the conceptual design because as uh, council member Melton pointed out, we need to get some input from the community regarding the design as such. And then also the uh, uh, bond measures and then the the pulse of the community regarding what is the dollar value they can tolerate, uh, right? So more community outreach at the front might reduce our, or uh, mitigate our risk of the bond not passing. Yeah, absolutely, passing. right? It's sort of a fine line of balance where we wanna get enough community outreach to have meaningful input um, into what we're developing as concepts, um, as well as meeting um, as well as meeting our schedule. You're right. Thank you for that. And then the other question I had was, uh, you talked about the needs assessment. 
and then you mentioned about the uh, immediate needs and then the uh, uh, critical needs or something like that. Mm -hmm. How did we come up with this? Is that because uh, based on our uh, current usage patterns or future growth and all those things? Or? Yeah, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of community outreach and what we want um, and what the community wants in their library, how they intend to use the library. Um, some of it is future proofing for the future. Some of it was already pre-identified in various documents. Um, <clears throat> we have looked at, uh, I believe we've looked at a library in the past. Um, and so some of that information is available. Um, and so it's it's really just compiling all of that information together. And then what we'll do is we'll bracket it into categories, so sort of high, medium, and low categories. Um, I think in the presentation, I called them critical, medium, critical, and yeah, high. Right, yeah. That's why I was trying to figure out how did the, all these needs go into each of these buckets uh, as such. Uh, but those are my questions for now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Uh, next is Vice Mayor Dean. Oh, sorry. Next is Councilmember Cisneros. Sorry about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, this is really exciting. Um, our community has has really been eager to see these services updated, but as we know, that there are so many different opinions about how that would look. Right? Um, these buildings are very nostalgic for so many people, and libraries are full of emotion. And I anticipate that a lot of um, emotions are going to come out during this process. So hats off to you all for taking on this um, initiative. So for me, the community outreach piece to kind of draw back to that kind of falls into two overlapping buckets of folks. So there's the wider library using community, who of course, like I, when I was looking at the outreach plan, really captured that. And then there's the, the community that's immediately adjacent to the library site. So the folks who might be more concerned with how that building looks or some of those, um, you know, the impacts on that direct community that may not be captured when, if you're, or like may almost get lost, or I don't, I don't know how to put it exactly if you're not intentional about it, um, reflected in a broader uh, community outreach process. So I guess that's a long way of saying my question is, are you are you or the consultants thinking about how to disaggregate or pull those apart, right? What the neighbors are willing to like, for lack of a better word, tolerate or would prefer versus what the wider community is interested in as a library. Let me tackle that by saying the library project is not only the library and its functions and how big it is yeah. and where it sits on the site, but it's also the site itself. So back to that second slide I had where we looked at the orange area of influence mm -hmm. for this project. So some of our outreach is going to be on the site. Right. Um, one of the things that was identified as part of the master plan was a playground adjacent to the library. I mean, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll certainly revisit that. Right. Is that something that is compatible with the library? Do we want it this round of what we're doing, you know, with everything else that's going on? So that's just one example of how we plan to um, engage the folks that are, um, I'll call it directly in the sphere of influence of the of the project. OK, Th that would be really great because. Um... In terms of the, you know, because you keep thinking if you're ending at a ballot measure, right, yes or no, which is kind of where that ends for council, that's the last meeting there on the work plan. It's that feasibility piece that keeps kind of going into it. And I wish I could just set that aside and be like, I just want to build the best 
thing in the world, but there's that political feasibility piece. So I'm kind of thinking of that as integrated as integrated into it. So wanting to make sure that the immediate residents are going to come out in a ballot measure and say, we hate this. <laughs> like Everyone else loves it, but we really don't like it. I could see that kind of being a, a tricky thing. So I'm really glad that we're thinking of that sphere of influence as part of that process. And is it its own, you know, if that sphere of influence can be their own stakeholder. Yeah. And this is something we're well-versed in. I'll say just as a park project, for example, right, if we're looking to put lighting in a park, there's a sphere of influence around that could affect the neighbors. Um, But then there's a larger, you know, park users that we draw from. So this is something that we are used to doing and plan to do. Do a great job. So um, really glad to hear that. And it was kind of like thinking, the reason why I brought it up is just making sure and kind of flagging that, you know, for the consultants that are probably watching or as the process goes on and to our residents too, that we understand that this is going to have different impacts on different folks and that it will be considered within the process. So um, something I noticed also in the work plan here is that, you know, council member Sell brought up Uh, commissioner input. And it just says optional on some of these little icons. And I wanted to talk about that. Um, I mean, I think that it would be very important for me to hear from Bolt, you know, ahead, you know, especially in the needs study and well, and the concept design, both are important to hear from that body. Uh, When it said optional, what is kind of meant by that? Or at what point would they, yes, take that meeting on or not take that meeting on? Yeah, so that's really um, with respect to them being able, them, the consultants being able to provide a full-on proposal as well as costs associated with it. And so when we designate optional tasks, you know, we say, um, hey, consultant, how much would it charge, how much would it cost us if we were to throw in another commission meeting into the mix on top of the base of what we've already specified? Um, And so that's one way for us uh, to identify. So if we are motoring down our path and we decide that we need to add in another commission meeting or something similar to that, then we have that um, optional task to pull from. And it's already, the the dollar amount is set. The task is item is pretty much set. Um, and so we don't have to spend time, you know, arguing and negotiating um, down the road. Fantastic. That That's very helpful. Um, it makes total sense. Uh, we need to pull that through. Other, I mean, other than that, um, you know, I will just say that political feasibility piece is going to be all part of it and considering going up to there um, as we're going through the design, also thinking about where the environment is for having a feasible ballot measure because of, of how we have to scale things in terms of the conceptual design. Um, and, and as I understand it from just the council questions, we'll be securing political, like more the polling and political consultants separately from this. Yes, polling consultant is separate from this group for uh, award of contract. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I think I know everything I need to know right now before hearing from members of the public, other things might come up, um, you know, to kind of understand what that process is going forward. So I really appreciate this. It is exciting and uh, look forward to, to seeing you all through the next year. Thank you, Council Member. Next is Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. Uh, And thankfully, my colleagues have asked a lot of really good and detailed questions. So the only thing that I've left that I'm curious about is, would you mind going over a little bit about, uh, will there be any interactions between the consultants and us here on council? Will Will we be one of the parties that they talk to at all? Or if we also had any thoughts down the line of groups to reach out to or stakeholders we're talking to, could we give that advice? 
um, are, are you asking if you'll be invited to public outreach or you're asking if you'll have a direct line of communication with the architect? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I know sometimes with these stakeholder meetings that, not stakeholder meetings, but the community outreach process that they go through, that maybe they'll talk to different stakeholders. I was curious if uh, we would have that opportunity to be one of those people as well or no. I mean, I think there's always an opportunity um, for the council to have some sort of input. Uh, it comes in various mechanisms as we go along. Um, so if there is an opinion that you would like, please please reach out uh, through Kent um, and we'll figure it out. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. That was my only question. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Very, very quick question. Uh, Regarding the design of uh, Civic Center Phase 1, which is this building, and Phase 2, will there be any design uh, similarities or conception? Or It is all one campus, and so yeah. the intent is for it to be homogenous from yeah. that standpoint and not disparate. Um, but, you know, they are distinct buildings that serve different functions, so there will be some some differences. I don't expect the architecture to look exactly the same. Right, but homogeneity is the one I was looking it to be very homogeneous. It shouldn't be distinct design as such. So, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that response. Thank you. And I had several questions. Um, first is re regarding polling. And so I had several questions about polling and and how that fits into the overall schedule. And, and I understand uh, you have a general idea what that schedule might be at this point, but would that be deliverable to council immediately um, on both both the project schedule listed here as well as how polling fits into that? Because I do think, you know, we haven't, polling is a separate RFP, I'm assuming, that comes to council? Um, actually, generally, polling is pretty quick. It usually is pretty cheap um, and can be done under the city manager's contract authority is okay. um, I would say it runs between in this case probably 50 and 75k to get polling done um, so um, and it only takes a few weeks so there's a few weeks of ramp up to get the questions done and then it only takes a few weeks to poll and then you need maybe a little bit of time for the polling consultant to compile the results and then bring those back to to a council meeting. So that's that's a pretty quick process. Um, and we would um, ramp up to it in parallel with the, uh, you know, um, with the actual project itself. So I won't wait for this project to get all the way to the end and then say, okay, let's go get a polling consultant. I'll get one on board beforehand and involve them and have them ready to go. And and that was part of my question is looking at the this, this actual schedule and and you know Jennifer has, has spoken many several times about the compacted schedule that we're looking at here uh, with community outreach and several decision making points and and I think getting that as clear as possible of where polling and whether or not it's this since it's not this consultant doing it but where polling fits into that program schedule becomes very very important mm -hmm. to see. You know, if council has any direction, where council's direction points are, what study sessions? Because I, if I remember, there's a study session as well as as a council decision making point and the different commission meetings and all that. And seeing how that fits together, I think would make council feel a little bit more 
um, comfortable from that standpoint of this compacted this compacted view. So, you know, I, I appreciate that polling is relatively quick when when we when we ultimately make that decision. You know, to make that decision, and the you know the city manager can do that. But I think the the bigger thing is the timing of that and where that feedback comes in because depending upon decision and cost, you know, th this is this is kind of the chicken before the egg question. You know, it's like we have several designs, we choose a design and the cost of that, you know, the cost of let's say the final two options, much like we had with the city hall here, um, council made a decision but in this case, it's even more sensitive because of the ballot measure component. And so whether or not, you know, council would say, you know, part of the information that we need at our decision-making point is a, a, a secondary poll. You know, it's like a, a poll right before that and maybe a poll, af poll after. Conceivably, from a process standpoint, additional polling might make things easier from a city standpoint to say, you know what's what's the cost benefit and i understand exactly what you said before you want it you want the decision you want um some sort of you don't want much much offers you know you don't you don't want to make it too complex from a polling standpoint that being said that value of okay if you end up with let's say two conceivable projects or, uh, out of three having a cost difference between that and what the what the pressure point is from from a polling standpoint would be very good information for a council to have. Is that, do you, city manager, do you have feedback as far as that's concerned? I do have feedback. Thank you, Mayor, for the opportunity. Um, we are all gonna learn together. This is a journey. And as we do the public outreach, both the staff and the city council, and you're gonna be invited to every public outreach meeting. And I hope you all show up. Um, you're gonna get a sense for what the community supports. You're gonna get that sense based on comments you hear, um, we will likely do uh, community surveys that where we were able to get a higher number of responses uh, online. And you'll see the results of that as soon as we have them. I mean, we'll, we'll deliver that information to city council. So I hope that, you know, right now we don't have a lot of information, but it's, it's gonna build over this next year before you're asked to make a final decision I hope, and and you, I can't guarantee completely that you're going to know exactly what to do, um, but um, we're going to learn together, and you're going to have a sense of what the community wants. And I mean, the best advice I can give you is follow what the community wants to happen on this site, and that will give us the best chance of success to have a successful project in the future. And, and I appreciate that, you know. And this is, and. and I'm assuming all these will be noticed meetings, you know, all from from exactly exactly what's happening, you know, or or exactly trying to get council participation as well as commissioners and you know all the different commissions getting that feedback whether or not they're whether or not this comes in front of them and definitely certain boards and commissions it makes total sense to bring it in front of them, but there's also that general we want to get the feedback from 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 those on our boards and commissions that that have that network in the community and often are taking issues that they have to their friends to their family and all that so relying on them to also get that word out to me is important uh from a from a schedule standpoint you know th this is this ultimately comes to 
I, I see this as an as an info item that that is quickly brought back to council on whether or not we need additional study session or or at least an info item once once that's finalized becomes important just from an educational standpoint as well as what outreach is planned. So I don't know I don't know if we need a study session on this, but at least you know an info item to council once that schedule is fixed. Does that staff envision that also? You're asking for an info item to be prepared um, once the schedule is prepared with the consultant that does include the polling component? Yes. Well, with or without the component, but yeah, definitely with, with the polling component when we have it, but you know, ultimately an overall schedule of yeah. what we expect. And, and I understand dates might change and all that, but just to get counsel on the page of and you know, starting to get the word out, I think because it's so compacted the 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 let's say the as councilmember cisneros was talking about that sphere of influence that that need of bringing in all the stakeholders as quickly as possible i think is critical and and so um you know i know that we we haven't talked about relying on you know other community members like community groups livable sunnyvale scs there's there's other groups that we would like to get input from and whether or not that's that's the outreach that is not required, uh, but but I do think often, you know, as we found with other projects, making sure that they're that that these community groups, these community advocates, are educated as quickly as possible helps get that feedback, and not and, and not that we can't, not that we don't get that at community meetings, and and this is a question from from a community meeting standpoint: Are these envisioned to be in person, hybrid, or let's say the the permanently the remote that we had for like the Moffat Park specific plan for for general community I, I think it's going to be a combination of everything okay in order to try to meet um and in, in order to try to reach um as wide of an audience as we can okay and and I and, and I remember so kind of going back through the the Civic Center modernization plan um one of the things that's listed there currently is underground parking and i know the cost of underground parking versus versus conceivably a podium parking structure or a parking structure next to it there's a big difference in in those costs um is it fixed at this point of underground parking and this is a question that that could community feedback change that vision um I'm not sure I I think it's something that should be studied for sure, right? We we really only have one chance to do underground parking. Yep. Um, and so it definitely should be one of the options that is that is considered. Now, if it turns out that the community at large and the council decides, you know, this is really not as important to us, we'll be okay with some other means of parking. I mean, that will kind of play out over time um, as we as we go along in the project. Okay. And 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 I know as we're looking to you know, we had we had these CEO, president of of Silicon Valley Clean Energy. I'm assuming you know the the concept of of the environmental solar and battery storage. You know, there are when we come up with a price tag, I'm assuming there are certain assumptions that we'll be able to get grants for part of that from a budgetary standpoint, and not just say, well, we're going to the 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 bond measure if if so if so included. Um, will we'll ultimately cover the full price what, what what's the what's the vision i know 
um, we have we're kind of cart before the horse as far as deciding what that cost would be, but I'm assuming that would be part of the cost. We always pursue outside money if we can get it. Um, so we don't tend to assume that we're going to get it. it. It's kind of gravy. But the other thing we always uh, project is operating costs. And so there's going to be ongoing energy savings from the current facility. Um, and so we would build that into the project um, and pursue any grants that we could to to defer the cost or defray the cost. Okay. Thank you very much. And I think that was all of my questions. Um, next up is Council Member Sell. I have some more questions. So in the previous like um, polling that was done many years ago, I think it 2007, like what was the process that that went through? Like was there detailed plans that were done and then the polling was done or what when was the polling done in this whole processor um we did polling for the civic center probably in 2015 or 16 um and we had uh really not even well not even this level of concept plans that'll be developed under this scope of work we had a range of costs and we hadn't decided at that point even whether we were going to put in new buildings or, or renovate some buildings. So we we had a range and we tested that cost range with some different figures of uh, tax um, amounts. And we tested voters sort of appetite for that. Um, ultimately, when we found that there was unlikely to be a two thirds majority support for a bond measure, and at that point, the Civic Center, it, it was everything. It was library, public safety, and city hall. It was redo the entire campus. And don't quote me, but if I remember right, that number was as high as $330 million. So we tested at that level of funding need uh, at that point. Ultimately, we, when we saw that there wasn't likely to be community support for that, we came up with a phased approach. That was the outcome of that, that city council decided, let's split this into phases. Let's take it in pieces. And so again, we that resulted in the project we have today of City Hall and the Public Safety Building Addition, renovation, and the library as a second phase. Okay, thank you. And then, um, so with the Lakewood Library, that seems like it's a partnership between the Sunnyvale School District, the City Council, and the Fremont Union High School District. Is that kind of, is there a partnership in some way that they... There is. Okay. Uh, the Lakewood Branch Library is a is a smaller library. It's intended to serve a population that um, historically has, you know, not been able to easily get to our main library. Um, what we've done is we've consolidated some of the community outreach rooms and the meeting rooms um, in that building so that it is a Lakewood library and learning facility. Um, and we have partnered with Sunnyvale School District as well as Fremont Unified High School District. And do those relationships with the school districts or what you've learned from the Lakewood working with the school district, does that in any way like um, help in this effort? Like um, in terms of, you know, kind of what the school district's important to them and the schools, and then that might inform this, or you might have like connections through that relationship with, oh, these, um, these staff members at the school district, they've 
were very knowledgeable about the community. And so when we were deciding on things in the Lakewood, it was really important to have them, uh, their input. Would that uh, inform this or help this process in any way that the relationships that were built in that Lakewood project? We have key relationships with the school districts. Those were actually in place before the Lakewood Branch Library Project, um, and we nurture those relationships along the way. Um, LRS is a huge part of helping us with that. Um, but having said that, you're absolutely right. Um, in order for us to reach some of the families and certain demographics in the past, we have reached out to the school districts and asked them to use their resources to help us get certain messages out, whether it's to take a poll, whether it's to, you know, get some volunteer efforts at something that's going on. It's just whatever. But we we actively engage the school districts. Okay, that's good. So that will be a part of this process, probably. Okay, great. Um, oh, and then the other thing that we've learned from the um, Human Relations Commission, we've learned a process whereby we can have a meeting and um, the meeting can be um, uh, people of multiple languages can like be listening and communicating to that meeting. Like I guess David was ex David Kenahan, what the city uh, clerk was explaining um, the details of that because as the school district was asking about that, they were trying to learn from what the city has done with that, and then he was saying that it costs X amount to have a meeting, and then but that meeting, if you run it in the right way, then thirty different languages, people of different could be listening and speaking and all that stuff. So I was just wondering if that might be helpful to this process to be able to have like one meeting where people of different multilingual um, people could be listening or speaking or whatever um, to be inclusive. Since we do have that ability, like at the Human Relations Commission, to have the, the bilingual, I'm not saying every meeting of this um, outreach could be that way, but maybe one meeting could be like one that's really multilingual, like different Latinx and different Asian languages, and people could be listening and communicating just as a thought, not as a requirement, just as a thought. So I will say that we've done this in the past. Uh, most recently during COVID with virtual meetings where, um, well, I'll say that the flyer or the information that gets pushed out is in multiple languages, um, but we've also done it where we've had a virtual meeting and we've done breakout rooms for a specific language um, so that those voices can be heard. Okay, that sounds great. Um, okay, last thing. So we're doing a needs study and we're getting a lot of input from the community members just on things they like. And I think sometimes, you know, like we've gone into different like park or or something. And then like I've asked for something like, can we make it all natural grass or whatever? And then you guys say, um, we only have a budget for X and you bring me back in. So what in this process, like kind of bounds, like, so we don't like gold plate this because how how does cost come into this need study? And so we're, we're kind of, for, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Seems like so, with other projects, you're able to like, you know, yeah, have a framework and like this is what we're going to stay with. And yeah. other other projects in the budget are more tightly defined. Yeah. Um. We say, I'll, I'll just go back to parks because that's what's in my head. You know, we we say we're going to replace all the benches. We're going to replace the athletic fields. We're going to you know change out the dog park. Whatever we say we're going to do. In this case, um, 
we're in we're in feasibility mode, right? And so when we say we're in a need study, it, it really means taking any and all feedback. And it's not just here's what I would like, but it's also here's what I don't like, right? Here's what I don't want in a library. We've heard a lot of, you know, um, you've been in our library, there's there's the fireplace, right? There's a lot of mixed reactions over that fireplace. You know, some people love it. Some people are like, why is there a fireplace in the library? And so we're gonna take all of that feedback. Um, and what we what we're um, going to do is kind of bunch it together based off of, you know, um, which direction, like if we get, you know, kind of a momentum of support behind certain items, and then we'll bracket those into sort of high, um, high needs priority, medium needs priority, um, and sort of minimum needs priority. And okay. then from that, we'll roll that into the concepts. Um, and then that will define our amount of money um, for each of the concepts. Mm. So each concept will come with a like this amount of cost. Yes. And then how will the city council at that point like know like cost wise, like how we're in this process where city council be able to know, like, of course, we're going to want, you know, the Cadillac, but maybe the community can't afford a Cadillac or we're yeah. in this process where and, council and Kent that. alluded to that earlier throughout the outreach process you'll get sort of a sense of which way the community is sort of swaying and which way they're leaning um definitely costs with each concept will be provided in that june council meeting that i said um i anticipate standing up here again in front of you <laughs> um and um i'm sorry i totally lost track of your question i think um what if like council wants the Cadillac, but the community like um, the whatever? Yeah, wants, so, I mean, certainly council can moderate. choose what council wants to choose. Yeah. Um, and then the polling will come after that. And then we will know if that's supportable through a ballot measure or not. Okay. And then so say we do the Cadillac and then the polling comes back and says, no, I'm not the Cadillac. Is there a process where council can say, okay, not the Cadillac, one level below? Like, is there a process? And then it's decision time, right? So I'll be back here again. <laughs> okay. So we'll get the, so we'll choose a concept. We'll do the polling and then it'll come back here. And then if we need to make adjustments, like not Cadillac, a little, little below the Cadillac, then that's where it can be done. Yeah. Well, the polling is going to focus on one concept, right? So if you, yeah. you pick the Cadillac um, and the polling goes out about the Cadillac and it comes back non-supportive. Yeah. At that point, there's a decision, right? Do we move forward? Do we push out to 2026 as a different year to give us more time to develop and build up that ground support and the community outreach? Um, do we go back and you know take a look at a different concept? So I think there's a multitude of options that we'll have at that point. Okay. So um, it's great. Thanks for answering all these questions and your sure. patience. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Next is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks for uh, Mayor for another shot at asking some questions. City Manager, can we can we just talk for a, a couple of minutes? I have some some questions. Um, one of the one of the topics that's come up multiple times is uh, we don't have a lot of time, and it occurs to me that maybe some of our members of the public who might be watching this from home would be saying to themselves, "Well, why didn't you get started on this sooner?" And I think I know the answer because Kent, you're always telling us, right? Public works, massive projects of city hall and the water pollution control plant. But could you just give our public some broad concepts of why this RTC is in front of us tonight as opposed to three or six months ago? 
Um, it, it is a matter of balancing all of the projects that our public works department is trying to deliver. And I'm gonna use round numbers. So I'll, I'll see if Jennifer frowns at me when I say this number. Generally speaking, our, our public works department carries about 80 projects at once. And this is one of them. And so they have a massive workload. Um, they have a very productive staff. But you have to remember that the city council also recently awarded the largest construction project in the city's history. Uh, and so the same team, we have a small but mighty talented team that's managing the water pollution control plant is managing this project. So we have a dedicated team. They manage the city hall project. So they know what they're doing. Um, but they're also managing the huge water pollution control plant project. And so um, we're in, in, in timing when projects can start. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty because when we, uh, as much as we just like to say, well, this is the date and we're going to start, um, there's not certainty about when other projects will finish. And that's what creates the bandwidth to start something new. And so we are at times at the mercy of different construction contractors, and sometimes they run long. And we certainly experienced that recently with the water pollution control plant and our primary treatment facilities that we expected to be done. And they're still under construction. And fortunately, they're wrapping up and we're in the testing phase. Um, but that's part of the explanation for why, um, you know, uh, we didn't have the bandwidth to start this particular project sooner. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Kent. And I know our public works department, well, you said it, roughly 80 projects juggling right now and some massive accomplishments. I see Allison Boyer in the back there, and I know she she does an incredible amount of work for the city of Sunnyvale. Um, I wanna I wanna circle back to um, the questions that I heard my colleague Councilmember Sell asking about, you know, the Cadillac version or the non-Cadillac version. The the way I look at it, Kent, is slightly different, and I alluded to it um, during my first round of questions. I'll say again, I think the most important thing that's going to go into the ballot statement is going to be the dollar number, and I'm I'm really not feeling all the way there yet in terms of, I, I get it, the consultant, that's part of their job is to provide a cost estimate. And I just heard Jennifer say, each of the models that is presented to council in June will have a dollar number, but I'd like to hear some more about staff oversight of consultant as they work up the cost estimate numbers. And I think I heard Jennifer say, you know, we have professionals in the public works department whose job it is. So can you tell me some more city manager about oversight of the creation of the dollar numbers that council will be seeing? Um, I, th I think the most important part of that and what our project management team does in public works is make sure that the scope's well-defined. We, we know what the estimator is estimating. So we define the project well, and estimators have to make assumptions. There's big decisions that have to be made. Some of the, and they were mentioned tonight already. One of the biggest decisions is underground parking or not. That's the swing the number a lot. Now that particular option only applies to a new library. We're also still on the, have the table a renovated library that, we expect will be less expensive, but it may not be dramatically less expensive. And there's a, a value judgment that has to be made about, you know, um, do you get more with a new facility, you have more flexibility and layout, and is that worth it to spend more? And again, I think those are the, the kind of feedback we want to get from the community. 
from our Board of Library trustees as we continue learning through this process. Okay. Um, I appreciate that. And I'll just ask you to think um, or consider as the as the process unfolds, right? Just my comments about the importance of the dollar number and all of this, and it just has to be the most accurate that we can present to our voters, because as been mentioned, this is the intersection of policy, right? The thing that we're trying to accomplish and politics, which is always the tricky spot. And I know you know that. Um, the final the final thing I wanted to mention, Kent, I just wanted to circle back um, to the detailed language that's under project objectives and scope. And I, I wanna ask you to think if you could support just a minor word change. Um, that I have in my mind. It's it's getting back to the fact that as written, it says concepts to be evaluated are one and two and three. And what I'd like to ask you to think about is whether you could support it is, can we just say concepts to be evaluated include along the lines of one and two and three? I'd like to include the words along the lines of, if it doesn't blow up the scope, can't to give us that flexibility, excuse me, for consultant to think about things like underground parking or not underground parking. So I don't know if you have an answer immediately. Um, I, well, I don't. Um, one of the things that I'll, I'll just remind the council, right? This is an agreement between two parties. So we have an architect that has to produce all these documents and reports and cost estimates and outreach meetings and they have to agree to this language. So what's before you, they've agreed to. They want certainty about what they're expected to produce because we have a fixed dollar amount in their contract. And so as much as I'd like to have flexibility, you know, we have a partner in this, which is our architecture firm that would like to have certainty. So I can't answer for them whether that type of change would be okay. Okay. So I guess I still don't understand yeah. then because it seems to me that the consultant is going to evaluate one, renovating the existing library with addition, two, a new size library based on high and medium priority needs, and three, a new library size to include all, all prioritized needs. I don't know, does that provide us enough flexibility to do what has been discussed tonight? Well, I, I think it does. And I think there's still judgment in, in terming how do we how do we put into brackets what are high and medium priorities? And so I think there's judgment involved in that. And, you know, I will work with the project management staff to make sure that we we do that in a thoughtful way. Um, so I think it does give us enough flexibility. Um, it doesn't talk about specific sizes. Um, so we have a flexibility there when we start hearing about, well, we'll hear from community members or, you know, we'll ask questions like, what components of the library are most important would you like to see? Um, and I, you know, I can tell you what's at the top of that list, what always has been for our particular main library is expanding the children's section. Um, we know it's undersized, it's undersized compared to other libraries. It's undersized based on community feedback we get. It's undersized based on the amount of circulation of children's books that we have at, at the main library today. And so, you know, it's unlikely that that's going to change, um, but we need to ask. Um, a lot's happened, and um, the library has evolved. And you know, going through a pandemic and everything, people uh, have you know look at how they use the library a little bit different, but it's not completely different. And so, I think we'll see those types of themes emerge 
uh, again, but we have to put numbers to it. And so we're not there yet and, and say, well, expand it. Is it twice as big? Is it four times as big? Is it, we have to come up with some sensible options. And of course, we'll, we want to work very closely with our you know, director of library and recreation services, who is an expert in library services and delivering services, you know, to guide us through this process as well and provide that professional expertise as we, you know, go down this path and try to, you know, put numbers to that, those words that you read. Okay. Thanks, Kent. I, I just want to conclude by saying I really support staff in this. And we are where we are from a time perspective, um, which provides the tension, right? We're working on a compressed time frame, but we still want to have, in spite of the compressed time frame, the broadest discussion that we can within the time frame and to provide the highest quality dollar estimates. So that's all of the tension. Staff is going to do an incredible job for the residents of the city of Sunnyvale. And I'm I'm looking forward to the project. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. And last question. Um, Council Member Melton talked about tension and we've all been talking about the compacted schedule. All this is kind of on on the road in previous discussions at strategic sessions and all that on on the path to a uh, 2024 November ballot measure. That being said, we're not tied to that, you know, depending upon what comes from from timing and polling and conceivably council at the end of this says shelve it for a year or two years. What what's the requirements as far as ballot measures are concerned? Um, twenty twenty four um, November is the obvious thing, but but um, a ballot measure that includes a tax increase must be done when city council seats are up for election. So it would be twenty four or twenty six would be the next two opportunities. When we described this project in the capital budget and it's been approved by council, and we said we'll get it ready so you could make a decision for the twenty four election. It doesn't mean you're tied to that. You know, we're we're committed to bring you enough information so you can make an informed decision by the by the deadline that comes from the registrar of voters in the county. Much appreciated. Thank you for that. I see no further questions, so I'll go ahead and open the public hearing on this item. Thank you very much, staff. Um, members of public wishing to address council, uh, please submit a speaker card if you're in person. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first. And then the city clerk will ask those remote, participant, remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have one speaker card, Deborah King. Welcome back. I was gonna leave after I spoke and look at what I'm doing now. Um, <laughs> I haven't been following this, so I have to ask a, a couple of basic questions. Number one, when you're talking about a bond issue, is this property tax? Property tax. Okay, so this, and yet, uh, so only homeowners will be voting on this bond issue, or everybody will be voting on this bond issue? We can't answer. You can't answer we, that. we can't answer. Sorry. Okay. Okay. And that's what I say. I was, as I said, I wasn't following it. Okay, so um, your outreach, I would say, is going to be the, the homeowners are going to be the hardest sell. If the if the failure of this bond issue makes this whole thing dead in the water, 
you're going to have a hard time with homeowners voting for this. And I mean, the economy in general is is terrible. The inflation is terrible. California is in the red when you're talking about grant money. Federal government is in the red when you're talking about grant money. So when you're talking about bonds, you are talking about an uphill battle. So um, I think that really needs to be something that you need to be focusing on. Um, that being said, in terms of outreach, uh, when you're talking about polling, and I have had some experience with these pieces of it um, up in Solano County, um, phone calling doesn't work because people don't answer their phones if they don't know who's calling. So trying to get people on the phone is, is not going to be really helpful. You've also got uh, older people who are homeowners who necessarily aren't going to be on the computer doing all these things I'll know although next door is is a really good medium and I know the mayor knows that because I've seen him on next door um and and that's a really helpful thing you, if you had had to have a bond issue to raise the utility rates this year it wouldn't have passed because people were really against it and we're talking about a much bigger issue when we're talking about a bond um, the other thing that you're talking about in terms of outreach and surveys, you need to consider grassroots, um, and, and I'm talking about something as basic as having people standing outside of the grocery store that everybody has to go to and stopping them and asking them questions. I, I think it sounds very fundamental, but it, all, it also works. I mean, I've used it many times in years, so it's also, you know, good. I, I when you're and also people need to understand we're talking about a library the most important thing that people are talking about is you need to expand the children's library well going from expanding the children's library to a bond issue and multi multiple million dollars is kind of a tough sell so i'm kind of a little bit playing devil's advocate here but that's my thought thank you very much that was my last speaker card City Clerk, are there any remote participants wishing to speak? Yes, Mayor. We have a member of the public calling in with a telephone number ending in 217. The member of the public calling in, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address the City Council. We see you're uh, muted. <laughs> Since I didn't read the services agreement thoroughly on my cell phone beforehand, I'm going to hold my comment. FYI, Comcast Channel 15 is showing a black screen for the whole meeting. Thank you, and that's we'll. That's I appreciate that. We'll we'll have them take a look at the technical difficulties. It should also be. Great. Thank you. Is it still streaming on YouTube? No. Yes, the council meeting is. It should also be streaming on YouTube. I, I know. I'm just letting you know. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor, that was the final public speaker on this agenda item. Thank you. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to council for further questions or a motion. Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I'm ready with a motion. Are there any questions before we get there? Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I move alternative one. Thank you. Councilmember Melton. Second. To your motion. Thank you. Uh, and, and I Mr. really. Mayor, if, I, if I may, please. It's not the alternative one in the staff report, but the alternative one that was presented as part of the um, presentation, just for clarification. 
Yes, that thank is you. correct. Thank you. To your motion. Okay, thank you, Mayor. Uh, and my appreciation to staff for the presentation tonight and uh, for being able to go into such detail with us. I think, as you can see, uh, we are really excited up here for all that might happen as we move forward. Uh, and looking at the decision before us, I think one thing that wasn't discussed, which I am also happy about, is uh, seeing how thoroughly we vetted uh, the party that we're moving forward with. I think the numbers themselves make a lot of sense to me, and I'm comfortable uh, with making that budget modification, and I think that's worth saying. Uh, but on top of that, I think what the community can see is that up here on the dais, we are very interested in ensuring that there's a very open public participation as a part of this whole process, that we see this as something that both benefits the community, but should also come from the community in terms of what their needs are and what their wants are. Uh, and I think you're gonna see that play out as we move forward. Uh, and so I hope that my colleagues join me in supporting the motion. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, next is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. I'll be supporting the motion. I, I wanted to um, express my gratitude to staff for kicking off on a really big, important project here. This is phase two of the Civic Center Master Plan. And um, I really appreciate the brief history lesson that the city manager provided to us. I, I, that has sort of gone back into time um, where one concept was originally do all of the Civic Center at once. And we had to break it into the three projects. And that was a great decision by the previous city council. Um, so here we are embarking on um, phase two of all of this. Um, like I said, the, the time versus the robustness of the outreach and the quality of the financial estimates is going to be critical because of the confluence and the intersection of politics um, and policy. So that will be very important. And I'll be thinking about um, another piece of advice that the city manager provided during um, the council questions earlier on this agenda item, which is, you know, we're all going to have to listen to what the public is telling us on this. And, and I just heard the vice mayor say that I was I was thinking about it. Um, when we were talking about, you know, what if council wants to do a Cadillac versus a not Cadillac? Well, you know, we're all going to be listening all along the way to what the community is telling us. And I know we're going to get to the right point. And then the voters will tell us if we get to this point, the voters will tell us ultimately if it's supportable um, above and beyond the required threshold. Um, so good stuff. And I'll be voting yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Council Member Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> I will be supporting this motion. One second. <laughs> for various reasons. First of all, this is, uh, for me, this is where we get directly the input from the community. Community will tell us about the needs, what they want, and then more importantly, whether they will support the bond or not. And then, more we learn about this, the, the community needs, the better product or better service we can offer them. And then as a city manager pointed out, we are not tied to 2024. Uh, so all the plans, all the design, all the needs analysis will be, will, can be deferred to 2026 if need be. For what we, so, but we have to start somewhere. We cannot be in 2025 and then looking at the same issues. So this is the right time to start. 
and then uh, the, I, I think this I will be supporting this for those various reasons. And then once we get better analysis on the community, we the the bond measure and whatever the ballot we need to pass, we will be able to go back to the community for their uh, agreement. So those are my comments. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next is Council Member Sell. Um, I want to thank staff for um, putting so much thought into this plan. Um, I thought it was really good when I asked about the outreach. Um, staff mentioned that that's very important to us. And every question I asked about outreach, there was, you know, lots of detail in how you're going to uh, include the community, community of different languages, communities of the schools, different schools, and um, and having various forms of communication um, to do the outreach. So that made me uh, feel very confident and including the commissioners um, and make it optional for other commissioners and all of that. So I really like how um, staff and I think in general, our staff um, has a good sense of the community, um, how we've gone with the redistricting and that's gone really well, how we've um, recruited for the um, Human Relations Commission and all of that has been very inclusive of many sectors of the community. So I really think that drawing upon that good experiences that we've had in the past in those other endeavors, bringing that knowledge to this and also, you know, focusing on uh, the detail for the outreach, I think it's good because I think of a library as the people's house. It's it's a place where everybody will want to come to, you know, and uh, children, adults, seniors uh, will have events there, hopefully, and like the playground that's like, you know, really thoughtful and really inclusive and I like that. Um, the other thing that I feel really confident in staff is that we have, and we're having our meeting in this really well-designed city hall. And so that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by very talented staff, um, very hardworking, very dedicated, very knowledgeable. And that same staff is gonna be working on this library project. And um, from the tight schedule, I really um, am thankful that we have such dedicated staff that coming off of the city hall project, coming off of many other projects, that they're willing to dive into this, willing to have a compact schedule, willing to do what it takes to provide answers to the council and the community on whether we have a project that we can send to the ballot in November 2024 or beyond. So thank you. I will be supporting this. Uh, and I'm just grateful for the dedicated staff and the talented staff we have. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. And I'll be supporting this motion. Uh, definitely, you know, for years now, I've heard from many people that that we need a new library and whether or not that's renovated or a brand new library uh, who it depends on who you talk to, 
but something needs to be done from a space standpoint. And that's why, you know, we phased um, this from a from a city hall or civic center standpoint of focusing on city hall first and and compliments, as Councilmember Sell said, to our fantastic staff to that created the building and managed the construction for for this building that we're in right now. Uh, but ultimately, it's making that decision for this, the same decision for a library. And and I think um, I appreciate what staff said about community outreach. I, you know, completely agree that, uh, or completely believe that they will that they will um, make their best efforts to pull in the appropriate stakeholders. And we've learned a lot from other outreach that's happened over the last few years of how to really activate uh, our residents, our businesses. I appreciate what our residents said as far as the price tag. And as Councilmember Melton previously said, that price tag is going to be critical when it goes to the ballot. Uh, you know, that was the main reason why the previous library ballot measure failed at 101 million versus conceivably 99 million would have made a big difference, I think, from a polling standpoint, as well as what people thought they needed from a new library many years ago. And I think that that a few million dollars made a difference for, at that time. So I look forward to seeing, you know, what potential grants and when we're looking at bond measures what the actual cost would be from a city standpoint. Um, all that being said, you know, none of this is preordained as far as is it November, November 2024 or or beyond. But but I think, you know, first is of course what we're doing tonight is is approving the budget modification, is giving the the city manager the the ability to sign these contracts, but ultimately coming back to council with that schedule, that that feeling for where things stand, and conceivably, you know, discussions at that point with our city manager about where polling is and and what community outreachers outreach outreach meetings are ultimately happening. But you know, all that is for the future. Tonight, we are focused on what kind of library you know we'll get and kicking off those efforts to to do those assessments to figure out that schedule. And you know, that's why we're here. Uh, so with that, City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Council Member Cisneros? Yes. Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Council Member Mellinger? Mayor Klein? Yes. Council Member Srinivasan? Yes. Council Member Melton? Yes. Council Member Sell? Yes. The motion carries 6-0 with Council Member Mellinger absent. Thank you very much. And we will move on to our last item. Item 23-0780, introduce an ordinance repealing Chapter 16.62 Prevention of Flood Damage, adopting Chapter 16.62 Flood Floodplain Management of Title 16 Buildings and Construction, amending Section 1.04.010, violation misdemeanor or infraction of Chapter 1.04 General Penalty of Title 1, um, and find that actions are exempt from CEQA. Is there a staff report? Uh, we don't have a formal presentation, Mr. Mayor, but I do have some remarks, if that's okay. Absolutely. So, introduce myself again, Jennifer Ng, Assistant Director of Public Works. Um, you know, the City of Sunnyvale is a participant in what we call the CRS, which is the Community Rating System. It's commonly referred to as our floodplain program. Um, 
in our city, we are ranked as a class seven, which enables our citizens to a 15% discount on flood insurance. Um, together, the Public Works Department and the Community Development Department administer and enforce the floodplain program. We do have an existing floodplain ordinance. It's chapter 16.62 in the Muni Code. Um, as part of our participation in the CRS program, we're required to do a yearly update, um, as well as every five years, a bigger verification visit from FEMA happens. This year is our year to do a verification visit, and they will be coming in November. Part of our pre-work to get ready for this big visit in November um, we coordinated with our state CRS coordinator. And what they advised us was that our floodplain ordinance needed updating um, in order for us to keep those critical points for having a floodplain ordinance. So just as a quick refresher, points equal um, classifications. So every bucket of every, um, every uh, grouping <laughs> of 500 points equals a classification. So 1500 is the minimum for us to keep a class seven. At our 2017 verification, we were solidly at 1741. So right almost exactly in the middle of the range. Um, so we're well positioned to be able to, you know, shift slightly um, with this upcoming thing. But our, our coordinator did advise us that um, if we did not uh, update our ordinance, we would be at risk for going down to class eight. So that was that would be a 10% discount for flood insurance instead of the 15% that we currently have. So most of the changes um, in the ordinance before you tonight are pretty minor. Uh, there's a few changes, though, that I'd like to point out, um, namely three of them. One is that um, new flood protection requirements will be in place for manufactured homes, also known as mobile homes, located within the floodplain and outside of the mobile home parks. And the reason for that is mobile home parks are state administered. Um, so requirements for these facilities will apply to recreational vehicles permanently placed on the site, meaning they're parked there for more than 180 days, and the vehicles must be fully licensed and ready for highway usage. The second thing that I want to bring to your attention is that construction requirements from the California Building Code, um, sometimes Suzanne refers to it as the CBC, and the California Residential Code, uh, referred to as the CRC, um, are now coordinated in the ordinance per FEMA requirements. Um, the Residential Code requires the lowest floor elevation to be at least one foot above the base flood elevation, and the Building Code requires the lowest floor elevation to be at least at or above the base flood elevation. And finally, our updated ordinance um, will be added to the list of misdemeanor offenses in section 1.04.010 subsection B subsection 7, <laughs> which will allow violations of that code um, of the code to be enforced. So that concludes my remarks tonight. I do want to point out that Suzanne Park, our chief building official, is in the room back here. Um, should you have any questions? And of course, we also have Trudy and Chip behind me as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there any questions of staff? Councilmember Sell. I just had these questions because one of um, my residents and my constituents were asking this. They were asking, um, why do we, um, why are we repealing the section and adding a section instead of just going in a red line section? Like, why, why do we repeal and repace um, instead of just go in and red line certain things in it? Just, they were asking that. So generally when you have the level of changes that were required to update our ordinance, when you have a lot of red line, it makes it harder to follow. 
than simply saying, wipe the slate clean and bring forth a new ordinance. So we've done this before. I don't necessarily remember the last time. Uh, Rebecca may remember, um, but it, it, it's not unusual for us to repeal and replace an ordinance. It all depends upon the level of amendments. Okay. Um, second question they asked is, um, why are we exempt from CEQA on this? I don't know, because it's, they were just asking because it's kind of environmentally related. So how are we like um, exempt from CEQA? Or, um, is there a reason why we, or is that just in general, only certain projects um, you need to do CEQA, but for this, you don't, you can be exempt from that or? I'm not sure exact uh, the exact um, classification that we use, but typically if it's um, an action to um, help improve the environment, in this case to um, improve the, the people within that particular area, then it is exempt from CEQA. So we're not doing anything that's going to directly affect the environment. We're doing things to improve the environment. Okay. And then the last thing is... Um... Adding this as a misdemeanor or whatever that, um, is there a certain legal requirement that we're doing or is there just like an improved enforcement just in general what we're going to do? It's adding we're... it to the list of, um, so that it has the ability to be enforced. Okay. And that's just something good that Sunnyvale's doing, but not like some state laws requiring us to do that. Correct. Okay. Okay. That's all my question. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Next is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, just one question. So the manufactured homes, we think about mobile home parks, and I looked up the definition just now, and it's like mobile home parks were before 1976, and then it's manufactured homes is the definition. But also in the state of California, ADUs might be in that definition. When we're talking about this, are we just talking about like the manufactured homes like when you think of a mobile home, like in the mobile home parks that we're talking about, or would this apply to ADUs or other structures that are built in a factory offsite and then assembled on a piece of property? I'm going to ask Suzanne to help me out here. Hello, council members. Suzanne Park, chief building official. It would apply to all manufactured homes. So that would be a mobile home or a manufactured home that's offsite. Okay, so all of the above, anything that built in a factory and assembled on site. So that would be somebody's ADU in their backyard that they could build, et cetera. Okay. That's right. Okay, cool. Because uh, it was only mentioned on in the parks, but yes, that helps me very much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And I had several questions. Uh, first, you know, it's, it's great that we're still at, at level seven. Um, if we went to level six, what would be the savings for our residents? And just some of these are 8 a.m. questions, but I just want to bring sure. them up. Yeah, each level, it corresponds to a 5% discount. So I mentioned if we were to slide backwards to a class eight, we would lose 5% and be at 10% discount. If we were to move upwards to a class six, it's a little counterintuitive with the numbering, um, but if we were to move upwards to a class six, that would be a 20% discount to our residents. And then as far as what efforts would we need to undertake to get there, to, to basically get those other points to go up to class six, just from a, from, you know, and I know that there's probably lots of different measures that we could take, but 
but can you name some of those and what the what the efforts would be from staff? It is it would be quite an undertaking. Um, right now, we currently partner uh, with other jurisdictions, um, and and by doing so, we were able to gain bonus points, um, which gave us those extra. Um, points to set us solidly within the middle of the class. So the last time we did a verification prior to 2017, previous to that verification visit, we had 1,504 points. So we were right on the edge of teetering between the two classifications. Um, it was quite a bit of effort working with Valley Water and the other agencies um, and getting those bonus points to get us those extra 241 points. So it would be substantial, <laughs> substantial work by staff um, to get us to the next classification. Okay, and, and I appreciate that. It's just trying to figure out what's, you know, what the investment would be to make it, you know, less expensive for a residents. And it's so it's always those trade offs. But happy to see that we're, you know, in in comparison to cities around us, we seem to be very similar to, you know, Mountain View, Santa Clara, Milpitas those those other south bay cities that are right along the bay and i think those you know that's the most comparable in my mind um that and i appreciate that that answer from from the adm questions the other half of this is valley water has envisioned projects for east and the east and west channel how does that affect our floodplain and conceivably what residents are paying for flood insurance um, so the work that Valley Water is doing along the East and West Channel, once the project is completed, will remove certain properties from the special flood hazard area. Namely, that's sort of the northern edge of the Lakewood into um, Plaza, Plaza del Rey um, and very uh, and the very edge of Casa de Amigos, um, sort, of, sort of that area. Uh, west of Lawrence Expressway. And so when those residents are removed from the special flood hazard area, they are no longer required to purchase flood insurance by their by their lenders. Um, and so that is a great benefit. Got it. Appreciate that. And then finally, um, regarding manufactured homes, and I appreciate um, Suzanne's, um, Susan's comments as far as what manufactured homes are outside of our mobile home communities as far as that's concerned and what what this is covering what the new ordinance is covering is this only for new construction meaning is it retroactive and this is this kind of goes back to what councilmember Cisneros was talking about with ADUs I can understand let's say movable RVs and and you know uh, or manufactured homes from that standpoint but some of the ordinance requirements for for the existing ADUs. Yes, so, so the, the requirements are triggered by work that comes in needing a building permit. So if you don't do anything, um, you're, you're quote unquote grandfathered in. If you, right. if you come into the city and you, you need a building permit from Suzanne and her team um, and you meet certain thresholds of the type of construction that you're doing, then you will have to you will have to update. Okay, and that, that was kind of going to that question of what those thresholds are. And I'm assuming it's, major construction up for an ADU. It's not other. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. It is defined by substantial destruction or substantial improvement. Got it. So you take the value of the structure, current value of the structure based against the 
the amount of damage or the amount of improvement. So if it's 50% or more, then they have to bring their property up to uh, flood uh, the flood ordinance. The new flood standards. Okay. Yeah. Or new construction. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That was all of my questions. Uh, Councilmember Srinivasan. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Very quick question. In your response uh, to your Monday question, you said the uh, county of Santa Clara is 10 CRS. Uh, is that, what is that number indicate? Um, 10 is the, the lowest um, participation within the community rating system program. So they are a member in the program, but they have not done enough efforts to go to a classification that is um, higher, meaning a lower number. Okay. So their discount will be 0% if at all. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was the last of council questions. I'll go ahead and open the public hearing on this item. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk if you're in person. Use your, the raised hand feature to request to speak if you're remote or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I'll call on members of the public particip participating in person first, and then the re remote participants can, um, um, then the city clerk will uh, ask remote participants to unmute when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker cards. City Clerk, are there any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? No, Mayor. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to Council. Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I'm ready with the motion. Go right ahead. Thank you. I move alternative one, uh, this time only in the staff report. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Council Member Melton. Second. Thank you to your motion. Thank you. Uh, and once again, thank you to staff for the work that they've done and for the presentation today. Uh, I, my ad my advocacy is going to be very short because I think the benefits of this are so straightforward. It'll benefit our residents uh, to stay in good standing where we are and perhaps even improve our ratings. So I hope my colleagues join me in voting yes. Thank you. Councilmember Melton. Yeah, I agree with everything the vice mayor said. It looks like tonight is public works night here at Sunnyvale <laughs> City Council. Great job by Jennifer, our um, deputy public works director. Thank you for um, everything that you're doing in public works. And I also just wanted to give a tip of the cap to our chief building officer, Suzanne Park. Um, Suzanne, not only a great job on this particular agenda item, but I'm thinking about all the construction that's going on in Sunnyvale and new codes, all electric reach codes. And I also know every time I email Trudy, uh, because somebody's riled up about pre 7 a.m. construction noise and stuff like that, that you'll deal with it fairly and quickly. And since you're here at City Hall tonight, I just wanted to acknowledge all the contributions that you're making to the city as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to this um, particular action item uh, passing. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Thank you. Uh, I just got inspired by something listening to Councilmember Melton, which is, I think, what we saw tonight is that public works really puts in the work. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. And and just I, I just want to thank staff. You know, it's it's I've heard I've seen what other cities are doing in this, and and I know of people that have been hit by you know floods in San Jose and some other issues from that standpoint. So I I know that you know from a critical standpoint. It's updating our ordinances to try to make sure that we have those discounts for our residents that require flood for the for flood insurance. And then hopefully I I hope that Valley Water stays on schedule for their efforts because that has an immediate effect on, 
you know, the bottom line for, for a lot of our residents that are having to get flood insurance now and those requirements that, that are part of their mortgages. So, so thank you for all that work. And, you know, I'm happy to support this motion. With that, City Clerk, please read the ordinance title and conduct a roll call vote. An, an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Sunnyvale amending section 1.04.010 violation misdemeanor or infraction of chapter 1.04 general penalty of title 1 general provisions repealing chapter 16.62 prevention of flood damage and adding chapter 16.62 flood plan management of title 16 buildings and constructions of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code. And now for the vote, Council Member Sal? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. Council Member Melton? Yes. Council Member Cisneros? Yes. Council Member Mellinger? Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Council Member Srinivasan? Yes. The motion carries 6-0 with Council Member Mellinger absent. Thank you. Um, next are Council Member reports on activities from Intergovernmental Committee assignments. Are there any? I see none. Next are um, non-agenda items and comments. Council Member Sell. Yeah, so I um, really enjoyed the discussion on polling today. And um, city manager was mentioning that previously to get to this point, um, some polling was done many years ago in which the project was not, you know, completely defined, but you were able to have some polling and be able to get some numbers and then know in the ballpark that don't go forward with that. But I was just wondering in this case with um, the library, if um, at some point where it makes sense, like that we have the final polling after we've selected the concept, and then we do the final polling, it's a lot of detail and all of that. But before that, just as when you did the polling before in 2016 or something like that, you didn't really have a defined project, but you were able to test some numbers and uh, get in the ballpark of that. And I was just thinking that, that if that could be if if council was supportive of that could um i'd like to make a motion to consider um something like that simple um kind of ballpark pulling that you did previously for this library so that we would know um going into this at some point where it makes sense um that we're in the right ballpark number. Cause I think like sometimes polling can get to people who don't come to the outreach meeting, but they will be part of the voting constituency. So anyway, I'm uh, just seeing if I might have a second for this motion one, in which- One, um, one second. Yeah. So one second, council member, city, city attorney or city manager, is this agendized, or something. So this is agendized, kind of a supplement to the agendized item. And I'm just asking, should it be part of this area or 
so I, so my understanding would be that you know under non-agenda items and comments this is a request from council member sell to consider a future agenda item if that was approved by city council we would appear, prepare an agenda item that talked about if we did an additional round of polling when would it make sense how much would it cost how much staff effort was involved and then you could make a decision about that at a future date if this um if this motion passed to direct staff to agendize that item okay just i just wanted to clarify that before we went farther city attorney did you have a comment or uh, no I, I i agree this is something that uh, council member sell had talked to myself and i had talked to ken about before the meeting so okay thank you council member cisneros sure i'll second that to see what council Zapatitis. And and so just for clarification, um, what's staff's staff's understanding of this agenda item? Just to try to trying to summarize what um my understanding that we would bring back an agenda item with the cost and level of effort to do an additional round of polling earlier in the process. Uh, for for a library bond um, and that we the report would discuss the pros and cons um, of that what value we might get from it and then council would make a decision about whether to move forward for that with that thank you and, and a question to the city manager um, and this kind of goes back to all this falls under your uh, financial authority is this something that that we would necessarily definitely council could require you know this to be brought back if that was a motion or from your standpoint as you evaluate the process for getting feedback into council and we talked a little bit about this earlier tonight when we're going through the item of there's a decision there's like there's the price tag and then our council decision and the ballot measure so, there's there th yeah. when we we're kind of when when i was discussing this with you know, previously, it seemed like there were already two rounds of polling possibly required. And this kind of goes back to those decision points. And so is it is it best, in your opinion, to bring that forward as an RTC to council or leave that to yourself and how this process is going? Because we're we're kind of that's, I, that that to me is why the schedule and why I was talking about an info item for the schedule previously. Um, I, I would need to confer with staff about. So my contracting authority is limited to award contracts with funds that are in the prod that are in the budget. So I can't award contracts if there's not money in the budget. And so um, to do a second round of polling under my authority to enter a contract it would have to be covered by the project budget that we just talked about. And I don't think it is. Okay. So you'd have to do a budget mod to create a budget for it. If you chose to do that, then it would be within my authority to award a contract and bring the results to council. Okay. Any comments on the motion on our, on the floor? Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. Uh, and my appreciation to Councilmember Sell for bringing this forward. I mean, I think that thinking on it is actually very good. I think getting more information and polling data will help us in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I'm not fully certain an agenda, a new agenda item for it directly right now uh, is warranted. I think perhaps some conversations between the council member and the city manager or mayor and 
it sounds to me from what I just heard from the city manager, there might be different ways of this returning to council. So uh, I might not be opposed to a, a an agenda item specifically for it in the future, but uh, right now I'm not there yet. So I will not be supporting the motion. Thank you. Thank you. And council member Sell, did you have additional advocacy before we get to other council members? Um, so it's been several years since we did polling. Um, the last polling we did was for the large effort, and that polling didn't show positivity. Um, so if we were to do polling at some point before the final point, that that might help guide our decision so that um, there'd be more positivity at the end. Because I tend to be um, kind of process-oriented, and I tend to be like, want to have like feedback that we're going in the right direction. So this second round of polling would be that feedback. We're on track, keep going. Are okay, we're sort of far away from where we wanna be. So how do we do some cor corrective course action? So this is what that second polling would be to um, help to ensure that endpoint and also to reach out to the vote representative um, community that would not go to these outreach meetings. Thank you. Councilmember Melton. Thank you. Um, there's a lot to think about. I, I want to start off by expressing appreciation to Councilmember Sell for giving rise um, to this motion to agendize. Um, I, I don't know how I'm going to vote yet, but what I'm thinking through is more information, always a good thing. And then during the agenda item where we were discussing this, we were talking about things like limited amounts of time, uh, precise schedule still to be published. So I, I can think of pros and cons. And then the concept that I just heard from council member Sell that I'm really appreciative of, because I hadn't thought of it before, is polling as an outreach mechanism. And I guess I've never thought of it that way. As, as politicians, we all know, right, word can start to spread when the phone rings and uh, you answer a poll and it says, you know, do you support, you know, X or Y for whatever? Or would you vote yes or no? Right. That that starts to get the word out. Um, um, so I'm just ruminating on a couple of things that I'll be thinking about before the city clerk asks for my vote. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Srinivasan. Uh, thanks, Mayor. Uh, thanks, uh, Council Member Sell, for bringing this issue. I was thinking more about this, and then uh, for me, community uh, outreach, which provides the needs, and then that is the bigger forum and then best forum. For example, they will tell us first of all, whether they they support a library or not. And then if they support library, what are the features they would like to see? For example, staff pointed out whether the fireplace is a need or a want or something like that. So those kinds of things will determine the not only the concept, but also solidified all the needs. And then once that community outreach, when the concept design addresses all these things, all the uh, community needs, I think 
then the dollar amount or the ballot measure, we can expect a bigger, a bigger participation and then more importantly, support for the ballot measure. I think polling without any needs assessment may not be a good idea. That's I so with that, I may not be supporting this motion. Good idea though. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Councilmember Sell, for doing all of this really good thinking about it because it's clear that you're invested in this process and want to see it go as well as possible. And I think that's where we're all at. Um, it's interesting, right? Because I'm not thinking about this in terms of public outreach, right? Because this is probably going to be about 1,500 voters roughly in a sample, give or take. And the amount of money it would take to reach those 1,500 people would be a lot less in a different outreach process, say through um, an online survey or various things that our consultants can come up with to do direct outreach to that number of people. So for me, the value proposition as an outreach tool is um you know, is less utility. So the utility I'm looking at and considering as I think about how to vote is whether that information at the at the front end is going to be really valuable um, to understand where our parameters are, where the voters' appetite is for a bond measure. And I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. And if if I do end up voting no on this, it's not because I'm not interested in that idea. I might want it a little bit more refined to figure out exactly what those variables that we'd be looking for are and, and have like that conversation with staff as was mentioned. Um, that, that would probably feel really comfortable to me, but I, I get where that utility would come from is understanding that baseline. But I also, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, I apologize, but also thinking I don't want that to influence too much of that needs assessment if that makes sense. Um, and wanting to just go with purely like, what is what is that pure understanding of what the needs are? And then us working out the politics after that, trying to make those two things fit out in politics and policies. So um, yeah, I, I'm going to think about it for another couple of minutes, but I appreciate your indulgence letting me think out loud. Thanks. Thank you, council member. And, you know, I also appreciate what council member Sell brought up here. You know, one of the things I was talking about previously was where polling stands in all this. And, you know, I do think as uh, Councilmember Cisneros just talked about, it's the needs assessment and the price tags and looking at that overall schedule. While I appreciate the motion, I think it's too early to give direction to um, staff to say, we, not, we need another RTC in here and another um, inflection point in, in the schedule. I think the first thing is to actually get that the set of milestones is getting that schedule in front of council and that's you know bringing that back to as an info only item to make sure that that we actually see you know what those decision make points are what you know what commissions are doing outreach what when the needs are finalized and where polling is already planned in the in the overall process so so I won't be supporting this motion um I might be supporting a future motion at a future meeting where once we see what that what that schedule looks like. And I totally appreciate what Councilmember said, Sal said about um the the program management portion of this, because you know, my uh, myself being a program manager, um understanding that that it is dependent upon where we're getting feedback, where we're giving 
appropriate comments into the whole process. And I do look at polling as an important step in that. And, and so ultimately it is important whether or not we have one or two rounds of polling, we might have to decide to later date. And, and I appreciate the, the city manager's direction that, that it's not part of the current budget right now. And, and so would have to be a, an additional allocation the council would have to make if we decide to do that. But, but I want to see what that schedule looks like first. And I think we're, we're ahead of the uh, ahead of the curve as far as that's concerned. Um, this item, yeah, uh, Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks for the indulgence, Mayor Klein. City Attorney, can I just ask a, a quick sort of rules of the road question that I sometimes ask when we're down to six council members, which is for Council Member Cell's motion to agendize to carry, notwithstanding the fact that we have six council members on the dais tonight, we still need four yes votes for the motion to carry. Is that correct? Uh no, no, because th this doesn't deal with money uh, as required under the charter. So I think it would just be a majority, but I'll, I can double check. To get to a next. majority by math, it would require oh, well, four oh, is the right. point. I'm that sorry, it would be a majority of those present, right? Thank so you. it would be four. I, Thank I, you. I was thinking about. I got you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know what you were thinking about, John. But three to three, for example, would mean the motion does not carry. Correct. That is correct. Thank, Thank you. Council Member Sell. I'm glad that uh, council was able to give me your feedback. Um, and I um, am fine, like voting also no on this. Um, I, uh, I appreciated your feedback. I also appreciated the city manager. Like if you see like in this process and you said that we're learning in this process, if in the future you see that hey, it might make sense to do a second set of polling that you'd be able to tell us and we'd be able to consider this again. And if you don't see, no, we don't need a second polling, then you just wouldn't tell us. And so everything's good. So I'm good with voting no on us. Thank you very much. With that, City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Vice Mayor Dean? No. Council Member Melton? No. Council Member Sell? No. Mayor Klein? No. Council Member Srinivasan? No. Council Member Cisneros? No. Council Member Mellinger? The motion fails 6 0. Thank you. Councilmember Melta. Yeah, thank you. Um, change of topic. I wanted to talk about um, the county's. Uh, fruit fly quarantine for a second. Um, so last week, the county announced a fruit fly quarantine that includes a number of cities, but almost virtually the entirety of the city of Sunnyvale. These things happen. It's important. It's agriculture and California. The, the part that really got my attention and I know I'm not the only council member who saw this because staff forwarded Mayor Klein's email and, and the mayor had exactly the same question that I did and, and emailed Ramana about it was the county was providing direction to Sunnyvale residents about how we should handle homegrown fruits and vegetables. And I emailed Ramana and I said, uh, you know, this makes me nervous because one thing we learned when we were implementing food cycle is that changing trash behavior of residents needs to be messaged with the utmost of skill and clarity and foresight. And here we had the county 
I don't want to use the word gunslinging, but they were just out there uh, rapidly firing off a message. And it felt to me like it was creating confusion uh, because people in Sunnyvale, our residents, know what to do with food cycle of their homegrown fruits and vegetables. Anyway, I believe Ramana is undertaking uh, with the county and perhaps the state needs to be involved in all of this, a unified message to Sunnyvale residents about what to do with homegrown fruits and vegetables. Can it still be disposed of in the split cart or does it need to be double bagged and thrown out in the trash? And can we also eliminate any confusing messages that are not applicable to um, Sunnyvale residents like uh, green yard waste, um, you know, issues. And anyway, I'm just um, saying it's a, it's an important topic, agriculture in general, and Sunnyvale residents are really passionate about the rules pertaining to garbage because we want to do it right. Um, and I know Romano will be doing his utmost to get to the bottom of it and, and send out a coordinated, unified message um, to Sunnyvale residents. And I thank staff um, for that in advance. So thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. And yes, I was going to bring up the the fruit fly quarantine. Um, you know, not only working with with you know Romana, and I don't think he's heard back from from County Vector Control. County Vector Control, of course, issued a, I'll say a, an incomplete press release when they did that. You know, not including Mountain View and and Campbell, which were also part of that. And you know, it's it's it it is kind of amazing that these mistakes keep happening. So I've been working with Supervisor Lee's office and, you know, trying to at least get them cor to correct this, but it's the, it's done at a state standpoint as well as the, the county standpoint. And we're just trying to educate them and get everybody on the same page. But um, obviously, and I'm sure all of us have received comments or questions from, from residents trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. And nobody really knows right now is, is part of the problem. So anyway, yeah, it, it hasn't been, um, it hasn't been clear and how that was communicated was not the best, but it is what it is. Um, city manager, did you have any non-agenda items or comments? Nothing tonight, Mayor. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and move to adjournment. This meeting is adjourned at 9.34 PM. Thanks to everyone who participated tonight. Have a good evening.